0: Navi Raju, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. You've produced an opportune paper called You Can't Hurry U.S.-India Love uh, just before President Barack Obama's upcoming trip to India. Why have you called it that?
1: Yes, uh, Boni, that's because a lot of expectation, um, you know, raising, uh, rising as to whether Obama is going to unleash a new era in the U.S.-India relationship. And uh, the reality is that we think that if you look back in history, for the last 50 years, U.S.-India have been uh, stuck in a Cold War kind of in relationship. And uh, there was a lot of mistrust and, uh, because India has sided with uh, you know, the USSR, now called Russia. And as a result of that past animosity, it's very difficult to put aside that old antagonism and then become friends overnight. So like in real life relationship, you know, it's very difficult, you know, if you have been like, you know, enemy with somebody to become friend overnight. So it's going to take a lot of, you know, um, walking, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, crawling and walking before they can run together, you know, in this collaborative path.
0: And you compare it, interestingly, with Nixon's visit to China in 1972. Do you think it will have that kind of significance and gravitas?
1: I think it will definitely have um, significance in the sense that um, uh, if you remember in the 70s, the same way, what's important is that it's actually a very interesting comparison because Nixon was battered at home uh, and he came to China as a way to kind of uh, open new relationship uh, you know, era with uh, China. And China at the time was becoming a little bit more self-confident as well. And similarly, today what we see is that clearly you know, President Obama is you know, in trouble at home, politically speaking. But then India is coming at the point where it's gaining a lot of self-confidence. So what you see now is actually a very self-confident India welcoming uh, you know, uh, Obama to its country. And um, so it has a potential indeed to open a whole new chapter uh, in terms of trade and partnership between India and
0: U.S. And you've written or co-authored this paper, You Can't Hurry, U.S. Indian Love, with Professor Jadi Prabhu and others. But. You've almost been four academic agony aunts because you've dissected the relationship through four transitional phases that you have to go through before these two big giants, India and America, can work together. And you begin with accidental engagement right through to integral partnership. Do you think you are an agony aunt and what are these phases
1: Sure, it's a very good uh, question indeed, because I think that like in any relationship, including a personal relationship, or a relationship between two companies or two nations, we think that they have to go through what we call a development f- framework, which is essentially uh, you know, a maturity phase, uh, phases. Um, and the first phase is what we call level one collaboration, which we call accidental engagement. So this is what happens when two countries collaborate simply because they have a common enemy. So they partner simply because they feel that you know, they have to vanquish a uh, you know, shared enemy that kind of partnership doesn't stay too long because it collapses, you know, very quickly. Second phase is actually what we call, um, it's a transactional cooperation. And in this phase, what happens is that it's a give-and-take type of relationship and uh, where uh, where the two parties actually are engaging in a give-and-take relationship where it's very transactional. So I give you something and in exchange, you give me something and um this is the kind of relationship where we feel right now u.s and india are where it's primarily trade that is and greed to some extent which is driving these countries to collaborate there's not enough heart if you like which is put into this relationship then if you upgrade it to the next level which is level three is what we call intentional uh cooperation or co-creation so the intentional co-creation happens when you start synergizing your capabilities so two countries say look, you have something to offer, I have something to offer. Let's magnify each other's core strands so we can collaboratively co-create something which is bigger than the two of us together. Um, And that's a phase where I think the U.S. can eventually go with India, but we are not there yet. And then the ultimate ideal stage of collaboration, level four, is what we call um, integral partnership. In this stage, what happens is that the two countries uh, transcend their enlightened self-interest and start thinking about the global community and what kind of you know, uh, good they can do for the global community. And, uh, and that's where I feel like you know, the world's two largest democracies, India and U.S., can combine their capabilities to actually do a lot of good for the rest of the world. But that's like a, you know, almost like an ideal state that's going to take several you know, years if not decades to get there.
0: So we're not going to see that relationship happen immediately. When Obama goes to India, you know, we're going to have to wait a few more years before it's a fully mature relationship.
1: That's, that's right. I think right now the stage where they are is the level two. And just to clarify, for 50 years they were in level one. So it's already we have to give them kudos for, you know, migrating to the second phase, which is second level, which is not bad. So the second level is where they are right now, which is very transactional, very trade oriented, you know. So they want to sell more, you know, uh, jet fighters and, you know, nuclear power plants and, and, and vice versa. You know, IT want, uh, India wants to sell more IT services to the U.S., which is fantastic. Uh, but eventually, the hope is that some trust will be built you know, into the relationship over time. And then they can realize that they can do more by actually collaborating more intimately together, where they can help each other to you know, uh, you know, accentuate each other's strengths. So that may be the next step. But again, I think that for the next uh, five to ten years, my feeling is that we might still be in level two before we upgrade to the next level.
0: And you did talk also in a subsequent paper about needing new institutions and how America can help India develop those institutions and new industries. If we take education, for example, I think sort of a, only about 11% of people from primary school go on to secondary school. So there's a sort of mentoring and nurturing role for the stronger partner, America too.
1: Absolutely, and this is what I mean by the U.S. You know, teaching India how to fish as opposed to giving them a fish, which is basically provide them an, a sustainable mechanism to develop institutions that can you know, last. And in the case of education, as you said, you're right. I mean, 7% of Indians actually don't have access to primary education, but 11% only manage to get you know, university-level education. So given the fact that by 2020, one worker in the world out of four is going to be Indian, you need to have a h- relatively well qualified and educated workforce to make India economically you know, viable. So, the US can help, and as a result, you see a lot of uh, you know, American universities such as Yale, Harvard, and others actually are going to India to partner with local institutions to strengthen their education capabilities, but also open what is known as uh, innovation universities. So, these are going to be new kind of generation universities in India which are going to produce PhDs in science and technology who can eventually become either researchers or, more importantly, uh, uh, teachers themselves and teach more kids you know, in science and technology, as a result of which the entire country can become you know, more competitive. So, yes, I think the U.S. is playing a very important role in building uh, new institutions, especially in the education sector.
0: And, and you rather surprisingly, at the end of your paper, You Can't Hurry, U.S.-India Love, um, as I said, with, with four of you co-authoring it, But but you surprisingly said that you thought Bush was in a better position with with India than Obama uh, because people kind of or Indians admired his style and maturity uh, more and that somehow the Republicans winning seats from the Democrats in the recent election uh, might help Obama because he can kind of inch towards a more mature relationship through that. Mm. How, How will that happen?
1: It's, a, it's actually an excellent question because I just want to clarify, actually, by saying that uh, what I meant by Indians admiring Bush is because Indians felt that Bush was what they call, they call an integral leader. That is, that his head, heart, and hands were aligned because he genuinely felt that India could benefit from U.S. technology, especially nuclear technology. So he pushed U.S. Congress to sign that bill to allow the transfer of nuclear technology to India. Now, that's great. So that shows inter- integrity of character. But the problem with Bush' approach is that it still leaves India and U.S. stuck at the level two of the collaboration, which is very transactional, because even the reason, the motivation for Bush to actually allow the transfer of technology to India is so that U.S. companies can actually gain contracts you know, in India to sell nuclear power plants. So it was very much in light of self-interest that motivated him. But, in the case of Obama, the sad part is that intellectually and even at the heart level, is very close to India because he's a big admirer of Mahatma Gandhi, for example. you know he, he loves his philosophy of you know nonviolence et cetera. However, his actions his hands seem to contradict if you like what is head or heart or feeling or thinking because his actions such as you know voting against you know, uh, you know the increase in h1b visas for Indians or uh, some of his you know um, uh, uh, harsh voting against outsourcing, for example, have made Indians feel that, uh, you know, this President uh, Obama isn't as sincere as he appears to be. And uh, so that's why I think that what could happen is that, with the, you know, uh, Republican-dominated Congress now in power, uh, the Republicans uh, historically have been more uh, in favor of India and particularly in favor of trade. And as a result, there's a very good chance that uh, Obama, if he really wants to step up the collaboration with India can use the kind of uh, support of uh, um, Republican-dominated you know, Congress in, over the next two years. Um, Whether he will do it or not will interestingly depend on his own party, the Democrats as well, because even though they're a minority in Congress now, we have to find out how much they actually support free trade and to what extent they want to see actually this kind of, you know, integral partnership develop between U.S. and India. So I would say that the biggest challenge or headache coming up for Obama is not going to come from, uh, you know, Republicans as far as India is concerned, but from his own party.
0: And finally then, Navi, those wedding bills with your agony aunt hat on, when are we going to hear them ringing full blast with this union between uh, India and America?
1: I think, I think um, instead of having one big kind of, you know, wedding bell, what, I am, what we are going to hear is more like call them like micro bells, right? So let me explain while the political level, the bell, the political marriage, may take several years you know, to actually happen and be consumed, you already see that kind of marriage between in the U.S. and India happening at the more micro level, that is at the comp- corporate level, and more importantly at entrepreneurial level. So it's happening in small scale already, uh, but I think whether there's going to be a full blown kind of you know, highly high profile kind of marriage at you know, the political level, that will depend ultimately on the integrity, as I said, of the leaders of India and U.S. So maybe the next U.S. president, whoever that is, might have, uh, you know, might give it a go to strengthen and upgrade the relationship with India.
0: Navi Raju, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. You Can't Hurry, U.S.-India Love. I've enjoyed it very much.
1: Thank you very much, Bonnie.